Hello, my fellow Brappentonians, and welcome to Brap Talk. This is a weekly podcast where we discuss the happenings of the motorcycle industry. I am your host, Jensen Beeler, and joining me on this two-wheeled adventure is the Maharaja of motorbikes, Mr. Shaheen Alvandi. Hello, hello. You know, I don't feel bad doing an Indian accent. I was born in India. I just learned that about you today. It's a, you get to learn something new about me every recording. You are very international. I'm super international. You're like the United Nations of motorcycles. I'm an Indian-born, Iranian-Armenian drinking bourbon whiskey. In Portland, Oregon. In Portland, Oregon. Is that cat playing with... Is Coda playing with that cable? Coda wants to see what are the odds of her getting... Don't let her play with that cable. Get out of here, cat. I think you're cute, but that's not for you. Yeah. Gosh, she's such a jerk. What a jerk. Go poop somewhere. Shaheen, it is It is good to see you. We we. I feel like we just did this. We, we just did this, we and did we were just- a lot sicker. I think yeah, I think we're actually more sick than we did than we were last time. Um, you know, at least I I definitely sound worse. I I feel like I sound worse too, and I'll let the listeners. This is why I'm drinking whiskey. Oh yeah, that's why I'm drinking whiskey to make my throat, you know, not hurt. It's medicinal whiskey. Medicinal whiskey. Yep, absolutely. That, yeah, that's my story. Medicinal yeah. whiskey. I'm a little thrown off. You got a you got a cup of whiskey in your hand. Yep. You shaved off the beard. I shaved off the beard. I had a battle with the razor today, and it won. <laughs> you smell like a Ukrainian. I well, I mean, I get hugs. Where did you, you like? Where did you just come from? Was it like a sweat lodge? <laughs> like uh, it's a, called Clackamas, Oregon. It's a weird story there, man. <laughs> You've got a musk to you tonight. I've <laughs> got know. a musk to me. It's throwing me off. I've got essential oils on. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm trying to, you know, really kind of live up the whole Portland thing. You I have a get, Subaru. It's got a roof rack with a tent on it. I got I've that got, stupid tent on top of it. Fucking the tent is the best thing ever. Oh, my God. That's the stupidest It's so thing. dumb looking, but it works so I, well. I don't understand the tent on top of the car. <laughs> you know you can just get like a regular tent and put it in your trunk, right? Yeah. It but takes up way less space. This is nice and flat, and and then I get to fit in. Also, you got to climb like stairs to get into it. I do. That's, you know, it's all fun and games till it's two in the morning in the middle of nowhere and you have to take a piss. I shake my head at you, sir. Well, as a guy, I just stick it out of the tent and pee, but my poor wife. She's <laughs> T-man, hard. She didn't think of it. And then I installed a thing and we went camping and she was like, oh yeah, I didn't think of this. <laughs> I've made a horrible mistake. Three in the morning and I swear I hear a bear, but I have to pee. So <laughs> sorry, babe. Oh, goodness gracious. Um, tell me what you've been doing on two wheels in the last three days since I've seen you. I've commuted. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, all things, all truth be told, I've been homesick for two days of the three. Yeah. We're a little ragged out. Just ragged out. I had a weird temperature swing happening and I just didn't want to move off the couch. So, um, my two wheel adventures have been mostly on the PlayStation four. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I'm trying to you learn how to ride like Valentino Rossi. I've got that Rossi game. And I'm here to tell you the physics suck. What's the name of this game? What's it called? Uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm so bad. Dr. Bippity Bock. Yeah, it's some kind of. It's probably called like the tires warm up. I don't know. It's, I think that's what it's called. I push it very hard. I push and I push and I push and I win. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've, I've always wanted to. So, you know, growing up with PlayStations, I always had a Gran Turismo game per playstation i think it's always been the reason i've gotten uh playstations is coda kitty just digging her oh nails into God, you her nails you, are just going straight into me <laughs> i don't know fighting. what she's doing the cat's she's the just devil. like i'm gonna come curl up in your lap 
but I'm going to death grip your knee with my nails. <laughs> God, you're like full asshole tonight. What cats are you doing? Are the, the cats are hilarious. She's like, hey, pay she's the rent and get the fuck triggered. out. I can't, she's just biting me for no reason. I see nails in your thighs. I see teeth in your thumbs. What Do I you, like about this podcast, Shaheen, is we're professional. We're very professional. <laughs> it's very it's the most professional podcast. Well, we have on a cat for a producer. What do you want? Oh my god, I'm just going to kittens here. It's funny. I got, we got um. Ow! Ow! That is ridiculous. <laughs> I just fed you, you little yeah. terrorist. I'm not talking about Shaheen, by the way. Bite, bite the hand that feeds you. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's funny. We got we got a couple emails this week from. You know, people of the industry, you know, saying, oh, like this, I heard about that, I disagree with this, disagree with that. And it's like, oh, yeah, cool. And then we come here today and it's just total amateur hour. Yep. We may lose some listeners today or we might gain some cat lovers today. Who knows? Interesting, interesting crossover. Yep. It's intersectional motorcycling. That's right. Cats, whiskey, and motorcycles. So you've been sick on the couch playing the video games. Playing the video games. Winning races, not so much. You know, it's weird. So I have to understand this game a little bit more. But ultimately what you're trying to do is you're trying to learn your way up the grid so that you'll become good enough and that Valentino will then hire you to ride GP. So you start out riding Moto3 and then you get to go practice with Rossi and a couple of other people on like his dirt track and do super motard riding. And I think, I think that's pretty cool. It's a cool idea. It's just the, the, the physics of it. As a motorcyclist, it throws me off. And so I was told by a friend of mine to just pretend like I'm not a motorcyclist and I'll enjoy it more. So I guess. Which is weird because. I don't know how to do that. If you're buying like the Valentino Rossi motorcycle game, you're probably pretty knee deep right? into it. So the game has, you know, options for it to give you like auto corrections. You know, if you go too fast into a corner or if you don't give it enough gas, it kind of makes up for it if you want to have that on. I thought I'd turn that off and I'm doing this race with a new R1M and I just, yeah, I, I was on the grass way more than I was on the tarmac and R1M well, suck at that. No. <laughs> and that's not a Portland euphemism at all. <laughs> Uh, I don't know how far you're taking this like Portlandia <laughs> lifestyle thing. Listen, man, I just want to fit right in. Although I think shaving the beard off is probably a negative. Dude, it throws me off so hard. It's I have a I have a tan line on my face. I had no idea how thick my beard was. You look so young. I look so young. <laughs> you look so young. I, Anne's just like robbing the cradle. <laughs> I mean, you know, you got to keep him guessing, I guess. Uh, she I didn't mean, even see me do it. I just texted her. I was like, babe, I'm shaving the beard off. She was like, okay, and you're doing a thing. You've done this like once or twice in the time that I've known yep. you, and every time it really fucks up my cheek. It's about about every two years, I want to make sure my jaw's still there. Yeah, that's fair, and it's there. I have a pretty decent yeah, jawline. Got to keep like the lookout for like little skin cancer, exactly, or you know, just make sure like your skin's healthy. Get the pores out. It is super smooth skin. That is the one upside of always having a beard. When you take it off, it's like, wow, what is this fresh yeah. skin? I I don't. I haven't clean shaven in a really long time, almost since business school, which isn't true. I've definitely done it a couple times since then but like i lost the whole need to like look presentable right because one i work in the motorcycle industry and two i work from home and three i live in portland <laughs> so you've got the perpetual it's, it's five the o'clock shadow. of not giving a shit <laughs> but when i do it always like so i'm like is that really my face do i really is that what that looks like yeah. underneath there right who is the stranger have Why you ever done so it handsome? and then put on a helmet and go ride immediately with oh like yeah slightly cool weather oh yeah that's it's weird like, what is this thing touching my face yeah. oh it's hair <laughs> yeah Ooh. i have a natural balaclava and i got rid of it today in the winter which seems counterintuitive slightly counterintuitive yeah. but that's how i live my life i like it 
Yep. You're living it dangerously. That's right. Well, I, like you, have been uh, under the weather, not getting a lot of work done. I, I apologize for the readers of Asphalt and Rubber. It's been it's been a little hard to get things out. I threw my back out, too. That didn't help. How'd you do that, Jensen? I was at the gym getting, getting swole. Is that what you do when you're sick? You go to the gym and get swole? Yeah, I was like, I wasn't really sick when I went to the gym. It was like that night I really got, that's when like the sickness hit me. Guys uh, and girls, if you're listening to this, this is why you wash your hands at the gym. Because Jensen's there while he's sick, lifting shit. Oh, I think that's like the least of your problems at the gym. <laughs> Have you seen the the sea monsters that go to your gym? Oh, God. <laughs> it's a good gym. The 24, La Fitness. La Fitness. Um, so I don't, have, I don't have too much to report, although I did just drop off the Kramer frame to get it powder coated what's the color you decided on going with red going oh, with wow. classic kind of not gold not white Rosso corso red yeah okay um that's new finally settled on a livery okay so it's going to be a red white and black kind of thing oh that's the thing you sent me yeah that's going to be sexy it looks good right that's going to be sexy so that'll be a good little surprise maybe like i, I shouldn't even say this shaheen because like by saying it online on the podcast i've instantly jinxed myself to miss this deadline Uh-oh. maybe 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 might possibly fingers crossed have the bike in the one show which is in like a month's time yeah it's exactly a month's time not even sure if they have space for us it's kind of a last minute thing not really sure i'm gonna have the bike done in time it's kind of up to if i can get Ooh. painted and get some parts is it a local person working on it yes are you going to give them props now or later? Later. Okay. I feel like that person would probably want to get shit done so it ends up at the one show. There's always a possibility. Right? <laughs> that it's a total disaster. And they're like, I want no part of this. You tell no one I was a part of this. That's a real possibility. That's what happened with my bike. When I got a wrap, the person that wrapped my bike swore off motorcycles after that. Because they didn't want to do it ever He's again. He's like, fuck this, fuck you, fuck your bike, never again. Because of just the complexity of the contours and everything? Yeah, there's too much happening. Or is it just because it was too rad and he's like, I can never <laughs> surpass this? <laughs> he won the lottery. He wanted to get out while he was ahead. Absolutely. No, I think it was the, the complexity. The I, I think he'd never done a motorcycle and he's a real pro. The guy does, you know, like big commercial work. And when he took the bike on, he was like, yeah, I'll have this done in four days. And both Mark from Motocarsa and I kind of looked at each other like, okay. A week later, we haven't heard anything from him. I'm like calling him and emailing him like, hey, dude, what's up? And all I wanted was an update. I'm not, I'm not like, you got to get this thing done now. And so he like sends us a, a message going, yeah, I don't even know where to begin on this thing. Like, oh, so you haven't even touched it yet? He goes, no. And he was like, come get the bike. I'm like, no, 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 you can keep it. Just work on it. And so three weeks later, this thing was finally done. And it was like, he was so angry at the end of it. It's not even funny. Huh. So I'm not even going to say his name. I will say he was, he did a really, really good job as you can see on the bike, but Holy moly, man! That dude does not ever, ever want to touch a motorcycle again. You need to, you need to post photos of your bike on our, on our Instagram because I'm not sure everyone has seen it. I will put it up, and and Facebook too. I will put it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you need photos, I think I got that'll them. be at the one show. Is it really? Yeah. So I'm gonna be, I'm gonna give a little, little props to my buddy here. I'm gonna be working the one show at the Velamaki booth. Mm. Uh, our buddy Kevin. Look at, look at that little subtle, little, little that subtle little, plug, a little slide it in Just there, that little. Yeah. No money has changed hands, by the way. Daddy is not getting a taste Daddy's of this action. Daddy's not getting action. shit. Daddy's not getting anything. I got shenanigans. <laughs> You'll get a hearty high five. <sighs> you know what I can't do with a high five? Take him to the bank? Yeah, take it to my to my bank and pay my tried? mortgage. Have you been like, hey, a high five, this is worth a thousand bucks. Slap. No, because my bank has got that stupid safety glass. Ah, fuck. They just think you're pounding on the glass demanding <laughs> money. Tried that, Shane. I no, tried I'm brown. That I will not, not try work. that. You're, you can do it and probably not get shot. I will do it and at the very least get maced. Well, you don't have the beard now, so now you just look like a turtle asking for money. That's true. 
<laughs> I do have such a round head. It's the only thing I hate about shaving my beard. It's just this perfect cue ball on my head. <laughs> it fits in a helmet really, really well. <laughs> We've lost Jensen. <laughs> just losing my shit over here. Uh, I've been I've been inside way too long. Oh, dude, we're just on medicine and oh, antisocialism. Yeah, that's that's the Sudafed talking. <laughs> Um, what else do I had going on? I had, I had like kind of a list of things and I was, I got the iPad out to, to like have like a list and I gave up. If Coda Kitty will let you move without digging her nails daggers. Now she's like just passed out. She's she just looks, good. she looks like a cheetah after a meal, just laying across a branch. That is very much how I feel right now. <laughs> um, Don't move. Oh, so I went down, dropped off my frame and I got to see something that's pretty neat that I've had a lot of people talk about over the last mm, let's say month or so what is it it's in the ovale o-h-v-a-l-e you guys should if you're in front of a computer right now google that nonsense who makes the ovale ovale does that's the name of the company oh and it's these mini motos that are pretty high level i want to say like the tricked out versions about six thousand sixty five hundred dollars like pretty pricey wow i don't know what the pricing is downstream i haven't done enough research on it yet but i finally got to see one on the flash and it looks the deal, and it's if you were wanting to go um, get on the track for reasonable dollars, I don't know if like an Oval is where I'd start at, but this kind of format <laughs> is where it was because we've had like let me, let me let me back up a little bit. We're, we don't really have any news to talk about, so we're kind of going to just d- jump right into like our deep our deep dive conversation. Come at me, bro. So what I wanted to talk to you today about Shaheen was kind of how we can get new riders into the sport. We've had a couple questions about people wanting to know how to get into track days, how to get into racing. I yep. was kind of thinking about in my head how we get like fresh blood into the sport, whether that's adults or or younger people. Um, and so the Ovali to me is kind of like this jumping off point because it's an interesting motorcycle because it was at the dealership that I went to because there's a local, you know, fast kid. And I say kid because he's like nine years old or whatever it is. I've met this kid. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And, um, so I think I think this is his race bike, and I think this dealer is about to become a dealer for them. So that it's interesting because like that's what he's using to to go race, but it's it's obviously something that like an adult could get into, and it's the perfect platform to get onto like a go kart track racing series, like whether that's mini moto or right. super moto. Uh, you know, you go to these go kart tracks on the motorcycle days; they're usually like fifty bucks. They're super cheap, and it's a really approachable way to to get into the sport, especially if you've got like a crf 150 or a ttr 125 and you put like just you know regular street rubber on it right you know you've got a pretty affordable like a mini super moto mini moto yeah not quite super moto because usually it's like you're still running like larger wheel sizes yeah that's um true. but you can get you can put one together for a couple thousand dollars if you find a good used one off craigslist and they they crash really well because they're dirt bikes and you're not going very fast and it's a really easy way to like start testing the limits of your speed and, and, and honing the race craft. And okay. It's really interesting to me to see how popular this is becoming. Like when I moved up here to Portland, um, you know, I brought my supermo with me and I was kind of hoping it would have a supermoto scene like San Francisco did, uh, San Francisco, you go to Sonoma raceway. I mean, serious point. Any Monday <laughs> is motorcycle Monday, you know, and you'll have maybe, you know, between five to a dozen people show up with their bikes and it's an easy, like standing invitation to go ride supermoto right 
not quite the same here. And in fact, like the mini moto scene is way bigger here than the super moto scene. And I'm starting to get that impression. And and one of our contributors at Asphalt and Rubber, Andrew Cohn, he goes and shoots a lot of mini moto with. He's been putting up a lot of pictures of it lately. Yeah. And so it, it's it's interesting to see like this is kind of like the new grassroots racing thing that's kind of coming on because it 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 ferrets off into flat track pretty easily and it ferrets off into road racing pretty easily and like I said it's cheap it's affordable it's hard to get hurt it's hard right. to break your equipment it's uh, it's pretty cool you should you should pull up that Ovali on your phone and check it I out. I did it it makes me think of uh, the bikes that the little kidlets in Spain get trained yes. on yes that's how you make your future gp race it's not quite a pocket bike it's not that stupid i always look at those pocket bikes and it literally looks like a polar bear on a tricycle <laughs> well i mean you're pretty big but i think like like that's what i'm saying like you and i we would still look a little awkward on on a bike like the ovali <laughs> but it wouldn't look unreasonable like you you would be comfortable ish i sat on it today it's fairly comfortable for a larger rider sort of adult ish i mean it's still gonna be a little awkward but you know so is a mini moto I'm looking at a picture of someone that looks like a grown person on it and they got their knee on the ground and it's like their knee looks like it's five feet away from the bike because their leg is so long. Yeah. Compared to the rest of the bike. Um, this would be fun. I actually, you know, as I uh, confess my new love for small motorcycles, I feel like something like that over at the, uh, what is it called? The Mac track? Yes, the Mac track. I think this would be perfect for that. Yeah, it would rip it up. What is it? A 190cc motor? That's my impression, yeah. That's that's what I'm reading here. That's the big number on the side of it. That's right. Ovala <laughs> 190. It's 189 cc's probably. It's kind of cool looking, man. So, you know, it's funny. You say the price tag of it and it sounds steep, but then you look at a dedicated track bike such as yours and it's not, you know, if you're- Two, if three you, times the cost, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Twice the cost. And if this is going to let you or your kid kind of get into the sport, what a, I, I think it's a pretty cool idea. I'm, I'm totally into it. I love it. I think- I think there's, I think it's important to note that there's a lot of cheaper entry points into the sport than this. Right. What I, what I think is interesting about it is this represents like the pinnacle of it. Like if you want to just be like the Mac daddy spending every dollar whiz bang pow guy at the track, it's still only going to cost you like 60s. Yeah. Go there's, find, go find an R6 and tires and and try right? and get out for cheaper than that. I mean, you can probably do it. You could do it, but I mean that that's the beauty of motorcycles. You you don't have to be super duper rich to get the Mac Daddy thing. Even if you want to buy a forty thousand dollar Panigale V4R, it's still a forty thousand dollar bike, not a three hundred thousand dollar Ferrari. So the average Joe could have a chance at getting it. I think it's a lot of money, but if there's a will, there's a way. Because oh, man, look at what, the what's the average. Sedan costs these days thirty five thousand, forty thousand. Oh God, yeah, it's. I mean, be they've crept least. up in price so much. I'm sure you can get one cheaper. I'm sure there's a Kia out there for like twenty two hundred or, or twenty two thousand or something like that. <laughs> twenty two hundred. Probably yeah. there's a Kia out there for twenty two hundred. Twenty years old, it's dying. No, but you're right. I think the average four cylinder, you know, boring rental car style sedan is going to be around thirty grand. That's probably the average. It's creeping up there. It is. By the time you put like airbags and chairs in it we were actually having this discussion about work trucks a work truck nowadays costs over 30 grand a, a just a bare bones not even an eight cylinder full-size work truck yeah that's a lot of money man for a work truck for just this for like an f-150 or for whatever. an f-150 or a silverado or something like that that's crazy to me struggle is real struggle is real struggle is re struggle is real struggle no. struggle is real i can't struggle i cannot do it Depends on what accent you use. Oh, 
I don't know if I can do an Israeli accent. You know it. me in accents. It, they all end up Russian at the end of it. <laughs> Soviet Russia, you are the struggle. And hummus eats you. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's. I think that's the sign of the times. I'm part of it. I think that's one that's just inflation. Yep. You can't go to the movies for a nickel anymore. Some of that's like Western culture and prices creep and feature creep and, and all these things. And and I, I think some of it has to do with how much is being bought on financing. Yeah. So it's like, I don't care if my car costs $5,000 more because my payments $15 more a month. And that's the thing. I mean, some of these finance companies are now stretching the payments out to just crazy terms in order to make it fit your monthly budget. And that's what people care about. So yeah, what difference does it make if their work truck went from 25 grand to 35 grand in the grand scheme of things, you're probably not paying that much more, right? If you really want to break it down and finance managers are really good at doing that. It's like, well, my payments are $40 more than I want it to be. Yeah, but 40 bucks a month, like you spend more than that on soda. And as soon as the somebody puts it that way, you're like, motherfucker. Yeah. I mean, it's the same thing. Like we hear it sometimes for like the A&R brand, like, oh, 40 bucks a year. That's a lot. And you're like, it's like a taco and a Mountain Dew a month. That's right. A&R Pro, $40 a year. Go now. (laughs) Yeah. Daddy does get a taste of that. So that, that, that plug I'm perfectly fine. That that allows us to do shit like this. I I am, I wouldn't say I'm spending all that money on my racing, but it is definitely helping fuel that. It's (laughs) literally because fuel is not cheap. Fuel is not cheap, dude. What is cheap nowadays? Whiskey. This whiskey only cost me $25 for the bottle. I don't know if that's a good price or not. I mean, it's... I have no concept. Grand scheme of things, it's not that bad. Okay. There's, there's probably, for me, let's call it two dozen drinks in that. So, so side note for a second. The other motorcycle thing that I did today... Ooh. Well, I tried to do. I went to, I went to the DMV here. Oh. Which, as a Californian... Any DMV is better than a California DMV. That's so, fair. <laughs> so overall, like my net experience with Oregonian DMV was pretty good, but I'm I'm this close to becoming an Oregonian citizen, Shaheen. Like full on driver's license, everything? Well, that was the goal with today was to do the driver's license and to register my last vehicle okay. in Oregon. So I got the vehicle registered. I had to get it smog though. And oh, so yeah. like I get there. So DMV closes at five. Yep. I get there at four <laughs> because Jensen, that's how I work. I, I, my, my goal is to get there at four fifty eight. <laughs> so I got there early in, my, that in my book. I got there up. early and we get up there and I got all my paperwork. They call my number. And by the time I get up to the desk, it's like four Oh five, four ten. Something like That's that. Not bad. Not bad. That's actually crazy. I st- I stand good. in line for five, 10 minutes. There's like nobody there. Oh, piece of right. cake. Piece of cake. I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm air high five and people it's, it's grand. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, I want to register my vehicle and I want to get an Oregonian license. And she goes, oh, no, no, cut off for Oregonian license. You had to call your number by four o'clock. What? And I'm like, look at him like, this test is 35 questions. Like, I'm honest to God, I'm going to finish this in five minutes what? because let's be honest, half those questions are probably about driving in the rain. Yep. <laughs> Another quarter of them are probably like, which skinny jeans go with which wide brimmed hat. At a four-way stop sign, who goes first? You have to get that one wrong here in order. Yeah, that one you have to fail, actually. Um, there's probably a word a word hunt, you know, like a <laughs> scramble word hunt, and then a maze, and then you get 200 points for writing your name. You can miss seven questions. Which is a lot on a 35-question. Yeah, I mean, there's not a oh, lot God, going on Oh, God, that explains there. so much about the drivers in the Pacific Northwest. Right? So did you do the motorcycle written test, too? No, you don't, you don't have to do that. That's just the practical. Oh, I did when I was... 
Oh, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I didn't even look. I don't Uh-oh. even care. You don't have a motorcycle license anymore, Jensen? Well, that's the thing. So so she's looking at me. She's like, no, like you missed the cutoff by five minutes. You have to, you can't take the test really? today. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm like, like, honey, this is going to take me five minutes to not like bang this out. Like I even studied. I wasn't, I'm not coming to the DMV more than once. So I'm, you know, I studied for this exam. Did you just pull up asphalt and rubber on your notepad and be like, don't you know who I'm is? No, 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 no. Oh, I figured you'd be like, I only do that at Costco. I'm the authority. <laughs> Costco, you have a lot of pull. Costco, those lines are horrendous. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, I'm from Asphalt and River. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. Up to oh, the front with oh, you. Oh, pardon me. Pardon me. <laughs> so, so can't do that, but they can do my car. And I'm like, okay, that was, that was the more important thing because my registration is expiring in California. Okay. So like, oh, but you have to get it smogged. And I was like, oh, but I just got it smogged in California. Like, oh no, honey, we, we don't, we don't take California smog. I thought California smog was like the most strict one in the country. Right. And I'm going like, oh God, because now it's like 4.30 by the time I've like had this whole debate about Ugh. whether or not I can take this this license exam or not. She's like, oh, it's fine. There's just a, there's a DEQ. Still don't know what DEQ stands for. I'm, I'm going to look it Department up. Department of questions. Equitable Questions. Yeah. <laughs> Easy questions. That's what it should be because I'm sitting there going like, oh, there's no way. There is no way I'm going to get this car smogged and back in time before they close at five. She's like, oh yeah, you could totally, you could totally do it. I'm like, I'm looking at my like phone. It says it's 10 minutes away. So I'm like, okay, so I got a 20 minute round trip. You think I'm getting this thing smogged in 10 minutes? Like you're out of your mind because in California, getting a vehicle smog oh, yeah, no, is a real thing. It yeah. gets on a dyno. Oh, it takes a minute. They stick a thing down the pipe. You get a readout. That's like four pages long on every single hydrocarbon yeah. that came out. Like this hydrocarbon's name was Fred and he's going to fuck up the environment. And this hydrocarbon's name was Terry and he's friends with Fred, but he's not as bad. So don't worry about him. It's always a Fred. So they just, so I actually have to give it to the state of Oregon. It's like this whole little thing. They check you in at a gate. They just like scan your car door thing and wave you on. Like go to, go to aisle three. Really? Guy, Bob is at aisle three, waves you on in. Hi, Bob. I go inside. I literally, by the time I've paid, like my car has been smogged. What? And I'm just sitting there going like, this is a $21 fee. How do you not pass? It's a $21 fee to just hook a thing up to my car. My car is just running. There's no no tailpipe check, no anything. It's just if if the scanner clears it, I'm good to go. I don't think the state just does this for purposes of income, Jensen. You make it sound like that. I know, right? I'm, that's exactly what I'm like. Uh, uh, it's, they're called the Department of Environment, Environmental Quality. That's actually what it stands for. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> so I just I just basically paid a twenty one dollar tax to move my car from California to Oregon. Okay. I'm like, okay, fine. But at least you're convenient. Yeah. Honest to God, in and out in five in minutes. Out, quick. Got back to DMV with 15 minutes to spare. So you did all this thing between 4 and 5 p.m. today? Yes. That's impressive. I mean, I walked out of there and I got the fancy license plates because I'm not a fucking criminal. What'd you get? Did you get the blue one with the yellow writing? Yeah, Pacific Wonderland. Pacific Wonderland. Love it. I want to do that one. I wish they would do that for motorcycles. Yeah, it does look good. It's classy. That's what I liked about it. It's classy. It is classy. And I'm a classy driver. You are a very classy driver. You will no longer get spat on by a Pacific Northwesterner because your bike, your car says California. That's the thing I want to miss the most. That's <laughs> the what angry I miss stares. The, every week, I got reminded of my California heritage <laughs> because people here would tell me to go back. Yeah. To which I reply, but I'm already in California. <laughs> I'm already here. <laughs> I'm, you, you guys just, you guys just haven't figured it out. You're, you're northern, northern California. And then there's like southern Washington, like closer to the border, and then real Washington. You've got a lot of friends here, don't you? No, I'm running out of friends rapidly. <laughs> but it, it was an interesting experience because I've had to go through the license 
thing and car registration. Uh, I take that back. I don't think I ever registered a car in Pennsylvania, but I did have to get a license in Pennsylvania. How was that? In and out with the license in my hand with a vision exam and a practical, not the in car, but the written test. Right. The actual written 20 minutes at PennDOT. Damn. And I was, and I was just like, can you, and Oregon, Oregon was a little slower, obviously a little bit more. It was funny because I looked up online, like all the requirements that I would need, like what paperwork I would need. Right. And it's like, you need to have one item from box A and one item from box B and one item box E. And I'm like, oh, okay, I got my, just I got my a little things. research. And they get there and they're like, oh no, the, you need completely different things. And I'm like, well, you guys should update your website. I'm like, why do I need a passport <laughs> to register a car? I don't understand that. Just what, what's up? They just want to make sure you're actually from California. Your it's, passport has to say California. Like, they're like, do you have a social security card or a passport? I'm like, yeah, I have both of those. I didn't bring those to DMV. Why do I? I'm not going to collect my social security check at DMV. <laughs> I'm not getting on an airplane to Tahiti from DMV. The thing with a social security card is it's so worthless at any of these places. Anytime I've taken it, they're like, oh, we don't need that. The fuck's the point of this thing? Here's the thing, though, Shaheen. Social security is going to be bankrupt by the time you and I get to it. It won't even matter. Like the initial purpose of this card, we will never get to realize. Nope. But we have to use it for so many other things. Like what? Like like at my new like work where they have to see cable internet things because that's I didn't need that. Important. I made a phone call. They didn't even take a deposit for me. My credit must be so good. They were like, yep, it's on now. And I did it while I was driving from Florida to Portland. We called them like in Utah. They're like, cool, it's on. That's why you called from Utah. They're like, oh, they're, oh yeah, they're they, from Utah. They're oh, definitely gonna pay their they're bills. They're calling from Utah. But I was just on I was just on the highway. I was just passing through Salt Lake City. Just going as fast as I could to get the fuck out of there. I like Salt Lake City. Do you? I do. I like Utah. I don't like Salt Lake City. I don't know why. I'm totally cool with it. It's beautiful there. You got the mountains. Oh, I agree. It's gorgeous. You got, a, you got a racetrack. I don't drink, so I don't really give a crap about the whole like Mormon bar thing. Beer can be only be there. like 1% alcohol, whatever. I love all of Utah. It's just Salt Lake City as as a city. I mean, it's beautiful. The, the surrounding area is, is breathtaking. Every time I go through there, I marvel at its beauty. But I, for some reason, that city doesn't just, I don't know. I think I need to give it a proper chance. I've never given it a chance. No, yeah, I, I dig it. All right. I think you like Provo. I could see you doing well there. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I want to see this. <laughs> but to be fair, that area is kind of like the gutter of Utah. And I don't mean that in like a slight to the Salt Lake City area. It's just that like Moab yeah. and Southern Utah. Yeah. Are amazing. Oh man, I just got goosebumps when he says Southern Utah. Oh, I, my I God. think it's so Bryce Canyon. It's stupid, oh, man. It is Zion. Oh, that that might have been my favorite part of riding around Utah was just finding our way slowly down, you know, through Zion and then coming back and going into Kanab, Utah. I could have stayed there for years. It's gorgeous. It's, if you if you ever get the chance to do a motorcycle ride through southern Utah, the answer is yes. Yep, absolutely. Without then, a doubt. And then take a little detour and go up to Moab yep. and do, you know, Canyonlands and, and Arches and all that stuff because that's that's life-changing, beautiful as well. Yep. One of my favorite states. It it almost doesn't matter what kind of bike you're on, but if you could do it on a dual sport slash adventure bike, there's just a lot more for you to see. It's, ugh, it's... But there's no shortage of twisties. None. That's the thing. So if you go out there for a sport bike, you will not be disappointed. However, they don't mind using tar snakes over there on their on their asphalt that's never really been a bother Whoa, it is slick as fuck although all that said i have a set of uh like dual purpose 50 50 tires on my bike and they're very 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 stiff and so don't think of them as tar snakes think about them as power slide enhancers all right so maybe if i turn off traction okay heard yep when in doubt throttle going back yeah we're gonna do it well 
<laughs> we have a lot of hypothetical trips. We, we should. We, we should do have a lot. Like, this 2019 out. starting to look like a great year for trips. Where are we going so far, Jensen? Uh, it's easier to play, name places we're not going. Is there is there a motorcycle ride in Bali? I've been trying to get to Bali. I I have a couple of friends that are around that area that I bet we could get some biking going down over there. Yeah. What were we talking about? <laughs> quick quick wrap up. Oregon DMV, not as fast as Pennsylvania DMV, but still pretty fast. So get your shit together, California. I don't understand how California DMV can be such a shit show when I go to all these other states with their vastly inferior drivers and still like have like a, a, a reasonably run department motor vehicle. California DMV, and I think anyone who's ever stepped into one will agree. I, I think the first thing they teach them on day one of orientation is how not to help. It's just a vortex of pain. Like, you want to get your license? <laughs> it's not happening today. Oh, buddy. Well, you got to bring these things. And you bring those things. And no, no, no. We meant the other things. If you live in California and you you just become a AAA member, yeah. but it's as simple as that because 90% of the stuff you need to do at DMV, AAA will do for you. That is and so... And it is 100% worth the whatever, $100 California life hack. Yeah. So much time and hassle. And you don't have to be around all those, you know plebs they're saying the line <laughs> those other people who are trying those to others, drive the others. these things called cars boo yeah boo <laughs> although AAA doesn't really know what to do with motorcycles which is frowned upon <laughs> um the only thing i'll say just to wrap up and get us out of this it is super frustrating when you spend a day reading all the stupid orgonian laws that they're going to test you on right and then you start even get like I, i'm even more triggered now when i drive around the city because i realize like Ugh. all the stupid things that God, you're supposed to be doing it. that they're not how many questions zero. did you get wrong? I said, I haven't got to take the test yet. Oh, that's right. You haven't. If I get less than, if I don't get a perfect score, Shaheen, I'm going to lose my mind. So I will tell you this because my wife made this mistake. There are two written tests you have to take. They're very separate from each other. One's for your car, one's for your motorcycle. And they will not just simply tell you about that. You have to look the person in the eyes and go, hey, look at me. I'm, I'm, look, I'm talking to you. Motorcycle and car, please. And they'll be like, oh, cool. You have to give me two separate transactions for this. My wife didn't do it. She came home. She's like, yeah, it only cost 60 bucks. I'm like, oh, you didn't get your motorcycle license, did you? She goes, what are you talking about? And I showed it to her. She goes, ah, oh, damn it. And then if you don't do it, guess what you have to do? You, gotta, you, gotta you ride have the to bike. go take the whole class. You have to I'm go learn how to ride all over again. Definitely not doing that. Uh, Although that would be fun. That would be hilarious. Can you imagine you and I in one of those classes? We get yelled at. So I had does, to do does this Oregon have the circle of death? Uh, no, no. That's a California thing, I think. Okay. Okay. So those who don't know, in California, you have two options when it comes to doing the practical exam you can do a class which is sponsored maintained the chp is involved with it right. in some, some way or form but it's basically like you do two days in a classroom two days out on a uh i'm blanking on the name course uh, outside right on a bike out in the yard and they literally start with you pushing the bike and then you get on the bike and you do the thing and i think total control is in charge of it now for for california it used to be msf we don't need to get into that that's a whole <laughs> prairie dog of, of topic or and, and i should say if you're under i think 21 or 23 yes i was gonna say there's an age take, limit you have to take the class yep. which is good which is good the class is good you, you will learn how to ride a motorcycle yeah. pretty well especially if you're gonna learn how to ride in a crowded city in california you should do it and even if you're don't have to do it by law i still think you should do it. just do it but if you're an adventurous type of person <laughs> you can do what's lovingly called the circle of death uh-huh and I like that this is like the only like practical, like show me that you know how to ride a motorcycle thing. It's not like, oh, I'm going to, 
you know, follow behind you while you go through the city and assess your ability to navigate roads and signs and all that braking and shifting. It's just, nope, go around a circle. Yep. That's and don't put your feet down about 10 feet in radius. I think. No, it's bigger feet? than that. It's, it's way bigger. I think it's pretty tight. It's like 20. Cause I think a motorcycle, uh, a motorcycle cop sharp turn is like 12 feet or something like that. So I think this is like 20 ish feet. But still, well, it's pretty radio. tight. Basically, they want you to go around the circle without putting your feet on the ground. I know I'm oversimplifying it. Well, here, here, here's, a, here's a better way of quantifying the radius. A lot of motorcycles, lock to lock, right. cannot make this turn. Nope. <laughs> so you're in your like your best bets to do it like on a scooter. But you're, you're right. You can't you can't put your foot down. I right. think you have to go around three times. Yep, and I think both ways. And you just sit there and you're just like, and that's and and there's it's like a lane it's like a three foot wide lane that you have to stay in yeah i don't know if i could do that right it's now it's real popular over there if you have a buddy that has a scooter for you to ask them to borrow let, let you borrow it oh yeah absolutely it, it used to happen all the time to my buddies you, in la like, that hey, is dude. the only reason to own a scooter is to pass the circle <laughs> of death it. test i would buy one there and just like use it as as one of those like rental things all right i'll rent it out to you for 300 bucks for the day we'll go to that stupid circle it's 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 not easy and and that shaheen is a segue on how we can get new riders into the sport. That's right. <laughs> we need you more riders in the sport. That's why we're a professional podcast. That is why we're professional. Because we can do that. We're, we have segues, guys. We went from California DMV to new riders like that. <laughs> in your face, well, I mean, all, all in all, I think California probably accounts for a lot of the ridership in America. So it does. if you're going to talk about any one state, that should be talked about a lot because there's a lot of people living there and there's a lot of young people living there. And motorcycles are super popular there not only because they're cool but because it is a much more preferred way of transportation you can get places at least twice as fast as a car i've said this before when i moved back to california from pennsylvania the first thing i did was buy a motorcycle right purely to get around quicker through traffic and the toll for going across the bridge the bay bridge was oh, yeah. half price yep. if you're on yep. a bike it's just like the argument makes itself and this is why i kind of get on the AMA and the MIC for saying like lane splitting should be priority number one. Absolutely. Because like living in Oregon, why should I buy a motorcycle? I can't, I can't cut through traffic. Yep. I don't really get any special privileges. Nope. Can't I can't park. Fil- I can't filter up to the, the stoplight. I, I, don't, I don't have any parking that's set aside for me because there's no, although I've noticed a couple of motorcycle parking spots popping up around. They downtown are area. really hard to find. You now. have to really look for one of them's in front of one of my favorite donut places. So that works for me. That, yeah, that helps. Uh, usually it's the business has to petition yep. for a spot outside their, their place. And it's like, why would I, why would I have a bike? Because a car is going to get me across the city just as quickly. And it's got a radio and an air conditioner and there's like metal around me. And gosh, Jensen, do you think that the motorcycle industry would sell motorcycles, more motorcycles? If the state started legalizing things like lane filtering? Absolutely. Yeah, that was the duh question. And even and even if it's not full blown lane splitting, I think we could do the same thing like like Portland does with bicycles, where we have the green box, yep. the bike the bike box, yep. so you can roll up to it. So you can you know you can filter up to a, a traffic light or a stop sign, and you can for bicycles they can actually go in front of the cars. They have a little little area for them. I don't understand why 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 we can't do that with motorcycles like that for me. Like if you don't want to make the what I think is a reasonable step to just lane splitting. Yep. Let's just have the filtering up to the red light. Fine. Because you're not going to go 80 miles an hour blitzing through traffic when you're doing that. You're going to go like 5, 10 miles an hour because you know you have to come to a stop in a couple hundred feet yep. anyways. And that would be such like a boom. Like, oh, you mean I can I can just kind of cut all these cars? 
and 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 it's safe because they're not moving like i don't understand the resistance to that but that's part of the kind of fucked upness that we have in states that aren't named california it's it's crazy i i I don't know if it's the case or not but it just anytime i've done it not legally here in oregon you know the thing that people get mad at is that you're skipping in line you're cutting they get so upset that you're cutting in line and it's like dude by the time you think about removing your foot from the brake and putting on the gas pedal in your automatic car i'm gonna be gone yeah by the time the VTEC hits right i've already wrapped yeah so that's you know it it's crazy to me in portland that we have these bicycle lanes that allow bicycles to get in front of cars and a bicycle goes how fast yeah right whereas motorcycles they're not allowed to do it my commute to work is about 18 to 19 miles long i split lanes all the time because it would take me an hour on that bike otherwise so I have yet to be cursed at or flipped. No, that's not true. I got flipped off by a Washington driver. Um, Are they even a person though? Uh, it was in a truck. It was a Do Washington driver, drivers truck. even have souls? It was flatbed truck. They're it was like probably the like the eighties of of state drivers. Had a couple of very specific stickers on it. Yeah, he didn't like me very much. But my point is, out of the months of having done that, it, it's pretty eventless, and the the highways have plenty of room in them. And I'm riding like the big Bertha of motorcycles with my big Multistrada. So I think my bike's width from, you know, <laughs> I don't even do it with the panniers because they're too wide, but from handlebar to handlebar, I'm probably pushing 40 inches. It's got to be at least. That's what she said. Hey. Oh, right. <laughs> it's not the size of the handlebar. It's how you maneuver it. Huh? The twist of your grip? It's a twist. Of- There's a lot there. <laughs> There's, so There's a lot there. to work with there. If, right. I, if we were feeling better... We would have a field day oh, with that. All right, listeners, it's up to you. Fill in the blanks. Yeah, drink. I I, I, I truly believe that is a, a huge thing that could really help jumpstart motorcycling and 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 get get more of a transportation side to the motorcycling equation. I'm not saying we take away the recreation side. I love bikes. I like I like having fun on bikes. Yeah. Bikes for me are mostly still a recreational thing. But it would it be a bad thing to have that like in our quiver? In our, in our like list of arguments on like, Hey, yeah, you should, even if it's just like justify it to your relatives at Christmas or whatever holiday you celebrate, um, just be like, Oh, Shaheen, why'd you buy a motorcycle? Well, Bob, I can cut my commute down by 20 minutes because I can filter up to the red light and split between the cars. And that's 20 more minutes of spending time with you, Bob, answering stupid questions. (laughs) I got three bosses, Bob. (laughs) No, that's uh, so. That's the thing, right? It, it it goes along with what you said to one of your friends in the motorcycling industry. The, the the secret to selling twice the amount of motorcycles is to, you know, selling to more people. So in that argument that you had was to sell to women and to really really sell well to women. In this case, we're saying if the states legalize things like lane splitting or just filtering to red lights, now motorcycles aren't just this stupid thing that people see us speeding on. Now it becomes a piece of transportation. Uh, and, and there's more of them being sold. There are more taxes now being, you know, uh, charged because of these sales. There's less congestion. Less congestion's happening. Better emissions. Right. So, uh, you know, and you could, you could be more strict about it. You could be like California and say, listen, the noise emissions have to be super quiet. If there's going to be more motorcycles on the road, then we're going to put up a rule that says, don't make these things obnoxiously loud. I get it. But I'd be totally for that. I would actually, I would forsake my aftermarket super brappy exhaust on my commuter bike i should really yeah, be careful what i'm saying because because uh, my race bike is loud as can be but it's a race bike damn it i think that takes care of the um let's say established motorist side of the equation yep 
one of the things I've been percolating on this week, Shaheen, is how do we get the next generation? Because when I was a kid, on my walls, I don't know if you're like me. I think I think you were. I think we've had this conversation. When I, on my walls, when I was a kid, I had Ferraris, I had Lamborghinis, I had yeah. Porsches. I had a, a family friend that used to race accurate NSX race cars. Wow. Um, Parker Johnston. He's actually a local kind of hero here That's in the area. Pretty awesome. Um, and so like, it, was, it was actually that was super cool because those cars were were a trick and he would oh, autograph it and sign it to me. Like that was like one of my most prized possessions was That's like so a cool. signed you know, accurate race car photo. And it got me like really interested in cars and it got me really interested in, in motor stuff. And then that eventually turned into motorcycles because I just couldn't afford a car when I was younger. <laughs> and I think I, I sit there and I worry like what nine year old version of me right now is doing that. Right. And how are we going to engage this, this younger generation? How are we going to get them to look at motorcycles as something that's one that that's cool. Yeah. And then as a viable thing that they can have in their life and something like, like they aspire to have, because I think that's a huge part of it. And one of the things that I've noticed, and I think you and I have quickly had this conversation, motorcyclists, at least in my experience, don't tend to be breeders. No, that is a very interesting uh, conversation, actually. I have only anecdotal evidence, but I looked at kind of like my peer group here in Portland and my peer group back in San Francisco and in Pennsylvania, and none of them have kids, by by and large. I would say like 90% don't have kids, and I feel like that's part of the problem. Well, the ones that have kids are already, you know, these are kids that are grown up. Having worked in the retail side of this, it was... It's not that it never happened. It was just rare to have someone that had kids that are growing up, you know, kids that are in their formative years, walk in and go, hey, like, I'm going like to buy a motorcycle. Teens, yeah, like preteens, the teens, uh, because they're trying to, A, be safe, because, you know, again, the, the perception is that motorcycles are unsafe. And so maybe, by and large, trying to teach their kids that, you know, in order to be safe, you have to be responsible, and motorcycles are not responsible. So the whole attitude towards these things kind of sucks in America. Because again, they're looked at as as toys that are dangerous, and that's all we ever talk about. You go to Europe, like it's just part of life. That's the thing that's so striking to me. Because when I lived in Italy, right outside my apartment was like literally the parking spot for the high school kids and oh, their yeah. scooters. Yeah, it was also like the makeout spot. <laughs> like the American version would be, you drive your big sedan up to the makeout point, right, and that's where you're going to do some smooching. Yeah. Here you sit on your Vespa. It, yeah, yeah. Literally in Italy was you sat outside my apartment, and the the guy and the girl would be on the scooter, just making out all Italian style. And you're like, oh, I guess hey, that's. Hey, you want to come and see my Vespa? Bippity boppity. Here's uh, <laughs> my Vespa. And it worked, right? And that was that was like a thing. Like if you were like a cool dude or a cool gal, right. you had a scooter, or you had, or man, if you had some coin, you had a real bike, right? Um, and you know, like that was. It was interesting seeing the cultural differences there. And we obviously don't have that in the US. And maybe it's not realistic to think that we'd have that. But there was at least that part of like the cool kid had that scooter. Right. It was a cool thing to have to have two-wheel transportation. You, you know, it was kind of in. And we don't have that here in the US per se. And I don't know. I don't know where I place the blame. Um, Shaheen, you you were talking at dinner about movies and product placement for motorcycles and yes. movies and i think that's part of the equation so, so so tell me your thoughts on it so 
So, I mean, it was an interesting conversation brought up by a friend of mine and, and why are motorcycles placed in movies the way they are? They're, they're either placed on movies as like a, like a sex symbol type thing. It's a Ducati or, you know, kind of a, 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 what was that movie with Tom Cruise? Top Gun. It was a ninja. Yeah. So there was like, they're like either highlights and they're very short lived highlights and they always have the wrong noise on them. I hate that so much. Or they're completely just dumb. You remember that movie Torque? Do you remember that movie Chips? Oh, God. Ah, so Chips Chips was interesting, and this has become a thing now. And I think a lot of manufacturers, <clears throat> Ducati, hold on, let me drink. By the way, Torque was horrible. Torque was the worst. Torque, Torque was Torque was horrible. as bad as Biker. Remember was the other one? Biker, Biker Boys? Bo- I watched Biker Boys God, recently. I watched, but really? It, I don't care what you say. It stands up to the test of time. God dang it. I thought they didn't allow it to be on digital. I thought you had to find it in like set format. No, it was on HBO. It was what great. The fuck? Oh my God. Hmm. So what I'm noticing now is motorcycles are almost like uh, product placement. It sort of started, well, you know, I'm, I don't know if I'm dating myself or how it is. And it's probably even happened before then, but you know, the Mission Impossible movies, huh? I thought you were married. I am married. Did you see what I did there? That's I did. Cute. Yeah. He's a good job. I'm dating. You, you thought I was sick. I wasn't going to get the wordplay. Little self love right there, man. Yeah, it's okay to date it. yourself. Shit. I got you. Um, so the Mission Impossible movies came out, and like the first one had the triumph thing, and everybody was, you know, you could see it was triumphs. And I get it. I get like your hope is that a couple of million people will watch this and remember that triumph. But more often than not, it's just motorcycle heads and motorheads that are going like, yeah, the triumph had the wrong wheels and the wrong suspension on it. And then and he's like, got a knobby tire in the dirt. Knobby tire and then he has normal dirt. tire when he gets on the asphalt. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah. Motocorsa thought they were the first ones putting knobbies on a sport bike. No, it was Tom Cruise. It was Tom Cruise. <laughs> so, you know, but it seems like now the movie platform is being used by manufacturers as a way of doing their marketing. Uh, I, I don't think Ducati spends a dime on doing like magazine or online ads anymore. It's just all about putting them in movies. Chips is a giant two hour long. Ducati advertisement. Oh my god, chips is just painful to watch. I mean, I but, no, you're absolutely moments. right. Because the problem, the problem I have with chips is it doesn't come across as authentic. Because it's so. I mean, one, the movie's a comedy. It's supposed to be kind of cheese bally. It, it's chips, right? Right. Um, but the product placement of it is just. It's just. Do not get her drunk. She doesn't want any. Kitten does not need to get drunk. Do you? Can you imagine what an asshole? She'd be a mean drunk. <laughs> I mean, a me. You want me to tell you about you? I'll tell you about listen, you, meow. Listen, I, I'll tell you where to put the kitty litter. You pay the rent and get the... Give me some nip, you son of a bitch. Right back to my feet. <laughs> oh, those claws look like they hurt. Um, I lost my train of thought because I started talking about the cat again. <laughs> um, We're talking about product placement, motorcycles, placement. movies. It's so inauthentic because it's just you're just sitting there just going like, Oh, you're obviously getting paid to say that. like this. This this dialogue brought oh, you mean, to you by you mean like the line where it's brand. like, oh, it's a high revving, super powerful V twin, and it's got to be a Ducati because only Ducatis make that kind of power, that kind of noise. Like, right. as Shoot a Ducati lover, and my skin crawl. I'm like, ah, oh, that was fucking painful. That that I have like, I don't know if that does anyone any good. To be honest, when I look at a movie like like Top Gun, right, where you know the ninja is such a kind of iconic it became like the, the kleenex of motorcycles everybody called a sport bike a ninja i'll do you one better look at what the movie tron did for the sport classic fuck you're so right there wasn't like they made a big deal out of it it wasn't like ducati ducati this i do get the impression that maybe some money changed hands because there was like some shots you're like 
it's uh, a very interesting way to showcase the motorcycle. But it was pretty subtle. It was, it was really was, well done. It, it wasn't too on the nose. It was really well done. And at the end of the day, it was like it added to that character in a meaningful way. That was an yep. authentic, like, I forget what the main character's name is. I don't know. Tron Jr. Tron Jr. Oh, yeah. Tron Jr. He lives in like this kind of warehouse, you know, uh, shipping great. container warehouse house. Sales went up too. Thanks a lot, fucker. And then, you know, he, you know, rides a motorcycle. Like, he's he's that guy. Mm-hmm. You're like, yeah, that fits. That that fits the story. That fits the the persona. Right. That fits the image. And then you have the obviously the Tron light cycle thing later in the thing. So later in the movie. So obviously it makes sense that he knows how to ride a motorcycle in real life. Right. So he can ride a motorcycle in the Tron life. I get it. Well done. But he was still you a win. bad boy, right? Well, Shut his lights off. He jumped the curb. That is he got away thing. from the cops. Motorcycles are. I, I do this now when I watch movies. When they put a motorcycle in it, it's always a bad boy yep. villain yep. thing that's going on. And truthfully, that's that in the history of motorcycling has always been kind of part of the problem. That's the that's the you meet the nicest people on a Honda right, reaction, right, right? Where it's like, yeah, we have to get rid of this one percenter image that only bad people who you know smuggle meth across the southern border <laughs> ride motorcycles. You're right. Deadpool, the bad guys, three black Ducati Panigales. Remember that scene? Yeah. Where, yep. So. <laughs> So I do think maybe like the Matrix is the only move I can think of where like motorcycles are used by the good guys. Do you think Ducati is probably like the most movie used motorcycle out there? I mean, I'm thinking of like Matrix, uh, 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 the Yes Man with Jim Carrey, uh, Deadpool. Uh, that a bunch of Tom Cruise movies have motorcycles in them. But uh, what was the most one? Of them are, most of the Day Tom- and Night, I think it was called, had a hyper That's hyper motard in it. I think. Well, I mean, Mission Impossible is pretty nailed down with it's like BMW. BMW. And, it was it was Triumph, and then it became BMW. Yeah, I don't think I was trying to think this. I just saw the most recent one, and it was BMW. He was on a he was on a R twelve hundred, uh, the cafe RT. racer looking one. Yeah. Oh yeah, he was on the yeah he was on like the scrambler. Where she like falls off of him, rolls up, and gets right back. Well, then up he's got like it. his leg dangling while he's doing it. And I'm like, buddy, you're not flat track racing. Uh, no, he was doing the the fucking Mark Marquez going into turn I one know. thing. I know. I was sitting there going like, that's that's stupid. <laughs> that's stupid. But they're trying to appeal to those of us that watch these things and go, oh yeah. So my question is this, and this was a question my buddy gave to me. How how come like Days of Thunder was such a huge hit and made NASCAR really really cool? I think that's the question, Shaheen, because I look at, and I've always had this thought, I hate the fact that Biker Boys or Torque right. or some of these other movies that we've, I mean, those those are the ones specific that are like, this is the motorcycle movie, Torque. <laughs> like, really, is that like the best we can come up with? Because I think you're absolutely right with the Days of Thunder kind of thought process, because look at MotoGP, look at World Superbike. There is no shortage of story here. Right. There's no. Um, what's the most? What's the one that just came out that was Formula One? Lauda. Yeah, Rush. Rush. I was actually just thinking of that. I Why want the same person that did Rush to Rush. do a GP movie? Because because there's no shortage of those kind of stories in motorcycling. You've got your your Schwantz Rainies. You got your Duhans. You got your Rossi versus you know a laundry list of riders. You know it would be so easy to have a story like that, a movie like that, right. That showed motorcycling showed the, the appeal of motorcycle racing, which is probably the most spectacular form of motorsport in existence. Right. I agree. So it's super exciting. Why hasn't, why hasn't Hollywood figured that out? And I just, I kind of shrug my shoulders and maybe it's too much of a niche. Maybe it's a thing. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but we're, I see all these efforts 
that OEMs put into doing these these product placements. Right. And I've had more than a few conversations with CEOs and marketing managers. Like I remember one company, they were so proud to have one of their bikes in a movie. You know, they showed me the the fucking trailer twice. <laughs> and it wasn't like it wasn't like it was going to be a big movie. It was like a not it wasn't a sequel. It's the what what do you call it? What's the third one? The third one? The third one. It's the third one. The third one. The third one in the trilogy. Sequel plus one. You know, at this point, the franchise was pretty played out. Right. The movie was getting horrible reviews. Uh, was it an X-Men movie? No, it was. <laughs> it was. Star Wars movie? I won't, I won't say what the movie is because right. it'll give away the brand. <laughs> but it, and, and like the product placement was another one of these like kind of cheese balls. It wasn't like cheesy, like, like chips cheesy. Right. But it was like, oh, the main character rode in on their motorcycle and there's like a quick freeze frame that shows the bike. And that's it. Uh, really? How much did that cost? Did that, did that cost you a million dollars? Oh, God. Because I think you could have spent that money in a lot of other places. And that would have made way more meaningful sense than, than that. I would and, love to know what Ducati sales look like after chips. I can tell you. What, what, what year did chips come out? I don't know. 2016, Re- 17? Right? What, what year did Ducati uh, US sales tank? Was it 2018? <laughs> okay. Right, so it did nothing. Yeah, it's. But here's here's the the thing that I find really interesting. I, I got to dig this out because it's a uh, it's one of the most interesting stories I ever read. I'm gonna paraphrase it because I'm gonna fuck it up. There was an author, and I wish I could plug him to give him credit, but they wrote a story, I believe, on Medium. Right. And they're t- you know they're talking about like, hey, I I wrote this book, and I went on like I did the circuits to go promote it, and because I'm selling it on Amazon, I basically have real time stats on how it sells. Yeah. And they had like a PR person, like this is a fairly well-known author. So they were on CNN, Oprah Winfrey, and they did a guest spot on Tim Ferriss's podcast. Hmm. And he was like, had about two minutes of exposure on each platform. So CNN, one of the largest TV networks in the world, reaches, I don't know, I'm going to screw up the numbers. Let's say 100 million people. Just a ton of people. Let's say it reaches 100 million people. Okay. Just for the sake of argument. Oprah Winfrey, she's got a, a an audience of, let's say, 10 million people. Okay. And you got Tim Ferriss' podcast, let's say it reaches 1 million. Logic should dictate which one of those is going to have the best response for this for this author. Right. CNN, 100 million people. Right. No, no, no. It's the other way around. No kidding. Because what they were talking about was hyper-focused. It was, I don't even remember what the, what the topic was. Let's say it was how to clean shoes. Yeah. Okay, well. The problem is with CNN, it's 100 million people. That's so generic. That's one in three Americans. Yep. One in three Americans are not interested in cleaning their shoes. No. Cleaning your shoes is a very particular thing. Right. Now, maybe in the Oprah Winfrey land, there's more people that like to clean their shoes because Oprah Winfrey talks a lot about cleaning things and, and house stuff and, and, and plugs products pretty often. So right. you're kind of primed. So it does a little bit better on that. Well, on the Tim Ferriss blog, he's all about life hacks. And how you can like, you know, his whole Tim Ferriss' whole shtick was what, like the four hour work week or something like that. Uh, and so it's like his whole audience is like, oh, how do you clean your shoes the most effectively way? Right. Oh, you've got a way to clean shoes in three minutes and let seven these. minutes. Right, right. And he was saying like, because each one happened a week after the other. And he'd say like, oh, yeah, I sold 10,000 books on CNN when, huh. when it went out. And I sold 100,000 books on Oprah. And I sold a million books when I went on Tim Ferriss' blog. And the whole idea and the whole point of that story is, is, it's not necessarily that you want to go out and find the largest audience. Right. You want to find the largest audience that's relevant to you. Yeah, you need and, your specific audience. And that's what I feel like 
like these motorcycle companies are not understanding when they do these these movie promotions. Yeah, okay, to a certain extent, you want to get in front of as many people as possible to make awareness of your brand and all right. that stuff. But like like you said, like how many bikes did the chip sell for Ducati? None. Probably. I mean, no, it probably did, cost did, them so much more to be in that movie. Did it move the needle? Now, how much of that would have done better if it was? If it was on my website or you know all the other media websites in the in the U.S. for for the motorcycle industry, probably a lot better because that's a captive audience for motorcyclists, right? And maybe there's a, something that's like an in between where it's like, oh, it's a lifestyle thing. Maybe it's men's health or it's you know, Rob Report or whatever those those publications or outlets that have a similar demographic to the typical Ducati owner. But it, I guess just the point I'm trying to make is like it's not necessarily the most the largest audience that you want to go after, it's the most relevant audience. Right. And I feel like these these movie plays yeah, are they're just, just thrown out in the air hoping it'll catch. And they're wasting millions of dollars in the process of it. And I think again, their 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 message at the end of it is still, you know, big bad boys ride motorcycles. You gotta be a bad boy, bad girl, you gotta have tattoos and you gotta be a little outside the law, et cetera, et cetera. But the funny thing is I say this and I think of probably one of the most obnoxious movie uh, uh, series ever, which is the Fast and the Furious. Yeah. Right? Think of like a car like the Toyota Supra after that stupid movie first came out. But you know what you said? I mean, I don't know where you're going with this, but the Fast and Furious did a huge thing for the street racing scene. It did. It did a huge thing for it, but it, no one's been able to make a movie like that for the motorcycling side and not make a mockery out of it. So what I'm getting at is this. If any of our listeners have any contacts in the Hollywood side of things, Call Ron Howard and tell him, Ron, it's time to make a nice, deeply meaningful movie about, I don't know, MotoGP racing or bring it to America. Let's talk about some sort of AMA racing. Or or the Coen brothers, because I think the Coen brothers right. would, would do a great satire on the motorcycle industry. That's the thing. I don't want it to be a satire. I want it to be meaningful. <laughs> I want it to be a two-hour long, riveting story that, you know, has someone that everybody likes. I don't know who would play it. I don't think you have to go far. I, I, like to me, like especially with Rush, I don't know why you don't do a Schwantz Rainey story. Yeah, I mean, come on! If you want to make it more modern, Rossi Biaggi, Rossi Caparossi, Rossi Jebernau, Rossi Marquez. Ro- I mean, and I bet that would do well worldwide. It may still not do that well in America. I think the reason Days of Thunder did so well here is because NASCAR is relevant. If the story is good enough, I think it will. Because look at look at. Um, Rush, right? With with Mickey Lauda and I'm blanking on the other guy's name for some reason. I'm too old. I'm thinking that's a perfect example. I don't even know right. the other guy's name. Exactly. Shane. And I still was like, I still see friends of mine who aren't into F1 who are like, yeah, that was a cool movie. I want to get into that. That was a really intriguing James story. Hunt. James Hunt. Sorry, Whew. I should have known that. But you didn't have to be a part of F1. You didn't have to be an F1 fan to appreciate that movie. You didn't have to be alive right. during the Hunt Lauda rivalry to to find resonance with the same thing with the movie senna i i totally missed the whole senna thing in formula one not even a formula one fan right right but But when you're so captivating a good story is a good story is a good story and so if you do it right if you do it give it justice there's value there and i'll just play devil's advocate for one second because i just i just slogged on the motorcycle industry for for spending money on these huge non-endemic big play power movie things. <laughs> right. And the whole purpose of this podcast was to talk a little bit on how we get new blood into the sport. 
<laughs> I will say there is some value into spending marketing dollars outside of the, the motorcycle industry. Well aware that I'm taking money out of my mouth right now when I say this, food, away, food out of my mouth. But there is value that we do need to start making a more concerted effort of, of getting people who don't ride onto bikes. Now, I don't think that movies are the answer to that. I think making motorcycles more approachable to younger riders yep. and maybe working on the perception of safety issue, some of these uh, transportation component issues, some of the cost issues. Mm-hmm. I think that's a huge part of it. Insurance costs. Here's an interesting fact that I'm trying to like grind my head around. Motorcycle registrations have consistently gone up over the last 10 years. Hmm. There's there's a little bit of a, a little bit of a wonk around the recession. New bike, used bike, or new bike? Just re- just registrations. Okay. Now, obviously, new bike sales are going down. Right. Motorcycle prices, like we talked about with the trucks, right. are going up. What does that tell you? People are spending money. People are still buying bikes. We're just not going to pay the full freight for a new bike. Exactly. So the used bike market isn't necessarily crashing. Now, it's hard to pull out used bike sales from registration because there could just be a bunch of idiots like me who could just keep adding bikes to their garage. <laughs> but there has to be a certain amount of that that is new riders buying bikes off Craigslist. Yeah, I think I think statistically there's probably more new riders than Jensen Beelers who, ha- who just keep adding bikes to their garage. <sighs> Maybe. I, I bet that's the case. I mean, I'm not saying that there's not a whole lot of you out there, but there's probably statistically more people who can afford a motorcycle. Someone that just found that dream, you know, RC51 that they can finally afford, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that I, I believe that. I wish there was an easy metric to be able to look at used bike sales in the country and see where that's headed at because I bet that's a lot more approachable, especially from a, from a you know, insurance perspective. Some of these new twenty plus thousand dollar motorcycles cost an arm and a leg to insure every year. It's a beast. It's especially if your driver's uh, license has even the slightest nick on it. They 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 will hit you so hard it's not even funny. I remember when I was under twenty five. If I had a leader bike, I was looking at like three thousand plus per year for just basic insurance. Man, it was nuts. And then I turned twenty five and it dropped down to like I want to say like eighteen hundred dollars a year. And now as a 39-year-old with a clean driving record, I'm paying like hundreds of dollars a year. Yeah. So, you know, it, it really, it does take a lot of patience, but we, we're the sort of country that says, hey, you got the freedom to go buy whatever you want. So a 16-year-old, if they have the you know means, can go buy a 200-horsepower leader bike, but, you know, if they can afford the insurance of it, because, you know, what happens is all these younger people that buy motorcycles wreck them. And so then the, you know, all the prices go up on insurance. I think that's very real because I've heard that from from dealers before where they'll get the the person to come in. They'll do the whole credit thing, got good credit, can finance it. Right. And then they get to like the insurance part of it and they're like, oh, dude, heartbreaks. Oh, wait, what? How yeah. much is that going to cost a month? Yeah. When I worked at the finance office and I saw you come in there looking at especially a leader bike, any sort of sport bike, and you look like you were under 21, it's like, buddy, have you checked insurance yet? No. You better make a couple of phone calls. Yeah. And inevitably, mom or dad would have to sign on somehow or another so they could be on the insurance so that it could drop down a little bit. But that's, we're so, you know, you're asking what the problem here is, right? The problem, much like every problem in the world, is not singular. There is, no. There's going to be this big tiered problem that you have to take care of from the bottom yeah. up. It's a multifaceted issue. And, and this is where, like, I lose my mind with people because it's not like you just do one of these things. 
you have to do these these right. all at the same time. You have to address all these issues at the same right. time. We need to address the cost of insurance. We need to address the cost of, of vehicles. We need to address the safety perception. We need to address the transportation element. We need to address the just the the cool and acceptance factor. Right. And, we, and then we need to start marketing outside the industry. And you got to kind of do all those things. No, 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 not any one of those things is a silver bullet. No, you and can't not, have a singular problem with this thing and accept it to get fixed. You're absolutely right. It's um, and I think that's the hard part because I, I look at it as very much a uh, a tragedy of the commons kind of issue because I can't I can't go and say like shame on you Honda for not doing that or shame on you Ducati for that chips movie <laughs> because like it, it's not one brand's responsibility right it's the entire industry it and, really that, is. and that's why I end up at the end of the day putting it at the feet of the AMA and the MIC because these are supposed to be the organizations where these these brands come together or where this industry comes together and it needs to be an industry-wide movement. The only brand I really see that's making like strong pushes, that's making like a strong commitment to this is Harley Davidson. Yeah. And it's because they have to because they're the ones that has the most to lose. Absolutely. They're the ones that are so fucked down the rabbit hole that they have to start doing these these things and start taking on this, this burden themselves because they're going to go out of business if they don't. And they still have a uphill battle because they've spent so many years being that you know, big bad boy Harley brand that now they're having to somehow sell the idea to the Jensen Beelers of the world. We had this discussion. How are they going right. to appeal to you, right. right? They can make the coolest, most technologically advanced electric scooter or hybrid motorcycle or this or that and the other. But in the end of the day, if they're not speaking your language, they're still having the battle in their hands. Now, that being said, they're big enough that I think they can somehow make it work. But I, you know, I think that we need to see more, we need to see less of the same. The same has not been working. It's It's been going downhill. You, like, I get it. It's a cool thing. It's fire breathing. It's amazing. And you want to show it off as that big bad boy thing. But like when I saw our friend Shalina put her motorcycle, because she's a cover girl. Right. Like what was the last, I would have never thought to put a makeup brand and motorcycles together. And they saw her and they saw it. And I think she single-handedly did more for motorcycles with that than most of these other things because now you're seeing an approachable, attractive girl that looks like she's a girl next door who's also a racer, but she's riding a motorcycle. And so it, it now you're driving that message to other female riders, hopefully. And if you knew what Shalina was doing behind the scenes in terms of, of her her boot camp, not boot camp, her girls camp for uh, young girls to, to learn flat track racing right. and and all those other like women in sport. She does a lot with the FIM. She does a lot with the AMA. She does a lot with a few, a few brands like that. I, I agree with you. I think, I think that has done more for motorcycling and, and to reach out to, to women riders than anything I have seen yeah. from the AMA, anything I've seen from the MIC and anything I've seen, you know, beyond the brands that she's been working with. And that, that terrifies me, Shaheen, because if that's, that's the high watermark, that's all we've got. Like, really? Like what are, what are you guys doing down there in SoCal? Like, wake I, the fuck up. Well, I mean, we 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 said this several episodes ago. And, and understand, too, like, the hurdles and the hoops that she's had to jump through. Like, she is a very good dear friend of mine. So I get to hear, like, the rants of, like, what it's taking from her to make this magic happen. Right. And it is ridiculous the amount of pushback the industry gives her. Oh, it's it's... The thing of it is, it's not unbelievable. I believe it, and that's what makes me shake my head. Like, what are you doing? You should be you should be pushing this forward, not giving her pushback on that. And as I was about to say, we spoke about this several 
episodes ago, the problem always comes down to the governing heads. It's run by a bunch of old white men who have whatever they have on their agenda. And so anything that's new, anything that's fresh, anything that's edgy, anything that seems like it's not the same old thing they were doing before is scary to them. And it's just, it, they immediately say no to it. And you have to prove to them that it's the right idea as opposed to them saying, oh yeah. Here's, here's, a, here's a great analogy on how you, can, how you can look at the American motorcycle industry. Motorcycling in the United States is your drunk uncle. <laughs> right, he, it really is. He's a functioning alcoholic who bumbles around and stumbles into walls, but he's just functioning at a high enough level that he hasn't quite gotten himself in trouble yet. Right. He hasn't run a red light and Everybody like run into like a, a line of kindergartners <laughs> crossing the street. Right. He hasn't, you know, mother effed his boss on a conference call yet, but <laughs> it's just a matter of time before he wakes up in the gutter and realizes the the error of his ways and and decides to get help because the motorcycle industry just hasn't rock bottomed yet. We haven't hit that point in the sales where we go, oh shit. And we say, you know what? Okay, everyone, let's just start brainstorming. No idea is too dumb. Let's just look at <laughs> we can do it. And truth be told, I think this is the exact conversation that happened in Harley. I think Harley woke up from a drunken stupor one day and went, Oh fuck! We've oh been, shit! We're in trouble. We've been drinking from the fountain of baby boomer whiskey, <laughs> right. and, and we got to get dry. off of that. It's we're going so dry. They're going to like baby boomer detox, and that's where this new business plan is coming from. That's right. where all these new bikes is coming from. But I think the motorcycle industry as a whole isn't there yet. They're still just kind of scraping by. They haven't quite gotten like the whole Betty Ford talk yet. They're not quite <laughs> a friend of Bill yet, and they need to because eventually we're going to get there. And my worry is by that point, there isn't a motorcycle industry left to save, Ugh. but there isn't anyone there who's like willing to be like, oh yeah, we really should look into, you know, maybe business not as usual. Maybe we should look into some of these new ideas. Maybe we should look at the movement that is happening with millennials and how they approach motorcycles and how they have a different amount of debt from, from their predecessors, how they have a different style of life, how they're having to live at home for longer with their parents than previous generations because of all these other factors. Right. And how the digital lifestyle is changing all this stuff. No one's really taking that seriously. Like they're starting to, they're kind of thinking about it, where they're like, I'm not gonna drink beer today. I'm just gonna have whiskey. Yeah. Or I'm only gonna do wine coolers. Right. And like, oh well, you're still fucking drunk. Yep. <laughs> still you're still having alcohol. Yeah, you're still having a little bit of an issue here. But they haven't quite gotten there that, and that's what I'm waiting for. I don't know. All right. Uh, I remember my last idea for Harley was to put a charging station at every dealership. Good idea. It's a great idea. I'm going to go one further. All right. Lay it on me. should do a ride share program per dealership with electric bikes and these charging stations. Right? Like and the you, Pony and you Express. Have, and, yeah. And you have a membership program where you have to pay by the mile or by the minute, kind of like you do with a ride share program in a car. But you have to pick it up at a Harley dealership, and there's one in every fucking city. So if you're going to go visit a city or if you need to have a motorcycle for the week instead of having a car. And so now maybe if Harley's doing it because they're big enough, maybe they can start working with the states and having things like filtration laws and you know lane splitting laws and stuff like that. I'm just saying, Harley, if you're going to take this bull by the horn, fucking take the bull by the horn. I had like three ideas come to my head while you were talking. <laughs> Come at me, man. That's interesting. I think I think you touch on something that's real. I don't think... How do I want to say this? Motorcycle brands need to take a hard look at what the future of motorcycle ownership looks like. Mm 
because I don't think the coming generations are sold on the idea of buying a 10, 20, 30, $40,000 motorcycle. Right. But I don't think they're adverse to paying for a service that allows them to ride a motorcycle. Yeah. And we see that we see it on the car side and, and we're starting to see some car brands play around with this. Uh, Volvo has one Chevy, I believe just shut theirs down because it was awkwardly structured. BMW has one. <laughs> Mercedes has one. Mercedes has one. They're, they're priced very high. I don't quite understand the pricing of it. They're like 41 cents a minute or mi- I think it's a minute. I was looking at the flat rate was like $2,000 a month or something like that. That's kind of, bump, which bumpers. is a little high, Yeah, but it does include insurance. And I don't know if it includes gas. It better for that price. Whatever. I mean, the price point, something that's, that's the thing you can figure out. But I am a little surprised that there isn't something like that because we see that already kind of coming in the automotive space. We see that in a lot of, excuse me, we see that in a lot of other industries already where it's how can we provide a service, not a product. Right. Motorcycles as a service. I think it's a thing. And, and, I think you kind of just touched on it with your idea with with having uh, electric bikes at dealerships and and being able to say like, hey, maybe maybe it's motorcycling as a service, and you get to ride it for I don't know, let's let's come five hundred dollars a month. I don't know if that's a good price or not. You that's get pretty a- high. <laughs> you get access to it, but you get access to a live wire, right? And the value added is you can ride that live wire from dealership to dealership. And so, like, if I wanted to go up and down the California coast, I don't have to recharge every. Mm-hmm. 200 miles or whatever it is. I just have to get to a dealership and I roll my live wire in and I roll another live wire out yep. and I'm back on my way. Yep. And, and it's like the Pony Express. Yeah. That'd be an interesting way of seeing. And some- I bet that would still allow them to retain standard, you know, traditional motorcycle sales. This would just be another thing to have on there. And, and that's that it really is the truth about the, the way millennials are buying now. The, the idea of having a, a sort of a membership to a program is, more value to them than to committing to buying a forty thousand yeah. dollar car or thirty thousand dollar motorcycle, yeah. right? They're all paying rent. They're they have crazy school debts that they have to pay off. They're working two three jobs usually, so I bet that would work. I don't think it's the answer. I don't think it's the silver bullet. Right. But I think something like that needs to be in the matrix. I think that's one component to to a larger structure that that gets us into a 21st century motorcycle industry into a functioning adult motorcycle industry not some bumbling drunk stumbling around the back alleys (laughs) of of the transportation world (laughs) there's uncle bob again on his motorcycle i know right (laughs) he touched me on my knee i felt uncomfortable (laughs) that's how i feel about the industry sometimes i feel like it's like the dirty uncle who drinks a little too much who puts his hand a little too high above my knee right you're like wait hey buddy Knock it off. What are you doing? I think maybe another idea would be inclusivity. Absolutely. Right? We're way too exclusive. I mean, we have a lot of pride to that. How many times do you hear somebody go, you better not touch my bike. Uh, you know, you can, you can talk to my girlfriend, but you better not touch my bike. Like, really, dude? It's just well, a- I think that's part of the culture, too. I think that comes back to the one percenter thing. I think it's part of that whole, like, freedom and the open road and independent lone wolf. Right. I mean, look at, um, here's another great example of, of motorcycles and media. Daryl from... Uh, The Walking Dead. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm blanking on the actor's name because I'm horrible with these things. Big into bikes, and and I think that show showcased motorcycles in an interesting light. But that was part of his kind of his character was he rode his chopper around, and that was his zombie killing thing. Yeah, 
But, I'm sure it was a Hyundai commercial with a chopper in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but but again, but like look at that persona that that's personified. He was the yeah. like, I could live off the land if I had to. Right. Right. I'm gonna survive the zombie apocalypse. I'm like the the dark, quiet, mysterious one that doesn't like <laughs> exactly. talking to other people. And you're like, you know what? Kind of an accurate personification, I think, of what motorcyclists see themselves as. Yeah, I don't know oh, if yeah. it's like the reality, but I feel like that's what like the the hope is. Is like, oh yeah, I ride a motorcycle. Oh yeah, I would, I'm a dentist during the day, but I at would night I could totally survive, survive a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> right? <laughs> I would totally survive it. I would totally because I'm so freedom, <laughs> open road, ready, one percenter. The idea that I am one of the very few people that puts over 10,000 miles a year on their motorcycle in North America is just mind-boggling to me. It's, it's you know, half this country, you can ride your motorcycle pretty much all year round. There's so much space out there for it, but we keep treating it like a little toy, like a mountain bike, and we ride them like that. And so, you know, then the question is, why aren't kids riding them? Well, because they're, they're these dying out toys that are going out with our parents, as opposed to being something that's accepted, something that's respected, something that is almost expected of us to ride around so that we are safer, more efficient, and more aware of our surroundings. And I don't think everyone wants to play Survivor Man on two wheels. I think some people do. And I think our industry's done a good job of latching onto those people. But like you said, of in- inclusivity, like you can't just have one persona. That was that's what killed motorcycling in the US until Honda came along. Yeah. Because that one percenter mentality came along and it killed it. And that was like the whole Harley thing. It wasn't like Harley was doing great back in those days either. Yeah. So it wasn't until someone was like, oh yeah, let's put um a cute young cop buzzing around New York City that people were like, oh, that's kind of adorable. I would totally have a dinner party with those people. <laughs> I would bring some sort of jello fruit thing over to their house. I would house. drink wine with them. They look like wine-loving people. I would love for Harley to buy that phrase and use it on their electric moped. You meet the nicest people on a Harley. Oh, that'd be amazing. Oh, man, there'd be head spinning. There'd be head spinning. <laughs> I don't know, Shaheen. It, it's... This isn't the last time that we're going to talk about this topic. That's for sure. No, it needs to be ongoing. But um, it is something like I do perseverate on. And I don't, I just, I know I'm kind of staying up at night trying to wonder like, how are we going to find that, that nine-year-old boy or that nine-year-old girl to get them interested in motorcycling? And I think my biggest worry isn't that they're not doing that. It's that the people who are in charge of the motorcycle industry, right? they're the ones that aren't doing that. Yeah. And that, that I feel needs to change. So what we need is a weekly cartoon show that has a bunch of heroes on motorcycles that are actually good Samaritans. Oh. We need a couple of movies that are like Oscar worthy with motorcycles in them. Yeah. Right? Lawrence of Arabia. There's a story Lawrence, right there. Lawrence of Arabia. But there's, there's, there's so many good stories out there yeah. where motorcycles show a positive light. This is why I like to, to promote two wheels for life the charity yeah because it's literally it's not just like okay if you do the the distinguished gentleman's ride okay good for you you're raising money yeah, for, yeah, for yeah. prostate cancer great fine but I, I take nothing away from that but it's just people on motorcycles raising cause for money what i like about two wheels for life is it's motorcycles are an integral part of their solution and for those of you who don't know, this is a charity that works in Africa where health, aid, health workers and, and aid workers use motorcycles to reach remote areas and to use motorcycles as transportation to effectively, you know, navigate the, the weak infrastructure of those areas to help, you know, get the proper medical things where they need to go. 
Like motorcycles are literally a solution to a problem for this charity. And that's what I like so much about it because it's not just like people on motorcycles doing something for a good cause. It's people on motorcycles doing the job because only people on motorcycles could do that good cause. Right. So if you got a little money and you want to throw it somewhere at a charity, there's your spot. That's two, a, wheels, two wheels for life. That's a pretty great one. The other one that I really love, I was kind of telling you about in the car, was the one in Israel. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think they're called the United Hatzala. I'm, I'm probably mispronouncing the shit out of it, but they're first responders on motorcycles and scooters because they're able to filter through traffic so much faster than a, an ambulance can that that one EMT on that one scooter with all the first respond, responder gear in a box on the back of the bike and scooter can get to you if you've fallen down a set of stairs and broken your bones way faster than anybody else can. And they get there way ahead of them and they take care of you and they you know solve the issue way before the ambulance can even get there. So again, we're, we need more stuff like that that makes motorcycles a solution to daily problems. So I agree. I agree 100% with you. Uh, another organization like that's the blood, blood bikers. Yeah. Yep. 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 Uh, in the UK. Yep. Um, so similar idea where it's just motorcycles, more effective way of moving something from point A to point B when it's mission critical, they, they transport organs, blood, high priority medical items. Uh, there's a lot of cool things out there. And like, those are such great stories. Shaheen. Those are amazing. They're, it's motorcycles saving the world. Done. Like the only thing better than that is Voltron. Yeah. There's nothing better than Voltron. Nothing. Nothing at all. Maybe Voltron made out of five motorcycles. Motorcycles. Ho, ho, ho. Boom. Some, Raptron. Someone makes that. Fuck. Are you listening to us? Daddy gets a taste. Daddy gets 5%. That's all we want. 5%. All right. I think, I think we're, we're just about done out on that one, sir. Well, you know what I say. I do know what you say, but tell us to me anyways. Safety third. Safety third. Hi. Good talk, sir. I'll see you out there. We've lost Jensen. <laughs> Just losing my shit over here. Uh, I've been in, I've been in sideway too long. Oh, dude, we're just on medicine and oh, the antisocial. Yeah, that's, that's the Sudafed talking. <laughs>